All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast. MWR.com is where you can find Matt uh, expansion news this week. If Since we're not going to keep this timely, but not timely. All of our previews, early looks, news type stuff. Football season, fall camp is happening around the country, Matt. And we got stuff to help you out. Keep updated. So that's what we do here at MWR.com. And talk about team previews. We're doing the Hawaii Warriors today, which is awesome. Always a very interesting team to talk about, aren't they? They always are. They're on the islands. They play late night football that people definitely should stay up and watch on the uh, whatever app they're on this year. I assume the Team One Sports app, right? Is that I haven't heard anything to the contrary. Uh, so I would assume that for those of us on the mainland, you're going to want to make sure that you have Team One Sports uh, downloaded on your Apple or uh, whatever device. Android device because you, <laughs> unless you get like a VPN or something like that, uh, and you're more tech savvy than I am. Uh, mm-hmm. That's going to be the way you watch it as you know, bathed in the warm glow of your cell phone at uh, what 10, 11 midnight. Who cares, Could right? Be... That's 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 the role that they occupy. That's you know, that's what makes college football so great. Can it be? Yes. Can it be on a tablet or cell phone only? It might be on a tablet. I, don't know. I know my, I know my smart TV will not do it because they don't want you on a giant screen because, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, but Hawaii Warriors. Here's where we go. Last year. They had first-year head coach Timmy Chang, who, if you know anything about college football, not just Hawaii, not just Mountain West, not just black football, Timmy Chang's a pretty good, darn good quarterback. One of the, I believe he's still top five all-time passing yardage. Yeah, I believe career. no, I believe he's still number one all-time pan- thought, passing in this program's history. No, I meant NCAA history. Oh, um, I know Case Keenum passed him recently, but he's up there. Yeah, high. he played. He's still like second or third or something like that. Yeah. He's a dude. People know him. He slings the ball and him taking over for him, Todd Graham, <laughs> recently. So mm-hmm. that, one, that was a fiasco on itself. So his first year, obviously, kind of a minimum year zero type of stuff. They also all players of Portal, gained a few players here and there. What did they go last year? They, won, they only won what, a couple games. They were close they were to a lot of games last year. That's right. I was going to say two and ten, but no, they played more games. Three and ten. They were fun to watch last year, as what you expect from Hawaii. Not necessarily the Nick Rolovich run and shoot, but they want to swing, sling the ball around, pass it a lot. Um, yeah, they beat Nevada and UNLV, plus they um, beat Duquesne. A couple somewhat close games, like the San Diego State game, a couple of one-position games for CSU, Wyoming, uh, Utah State. They were not too far off from maybe getting to a bowl game this past year. It's just going to take some time with the uh, – new coach, new staff, and just kind of build it up with a huge roster turnover. Yeah, I mean, they they went into last year, you know, having, you know, so much roster turnover and with a new coaching staff in place, not just the head coach, but, you know, new coordinators on both sides of the ball, um, you know, new faces everywhere. And so they, they definitely had a lot of challenges to overcome in, in Chang's first year. You know, some of them, you know, perhaps unforeseen, you know, they had just as many injuries on both sides of the ball as any other team in the Mountain West. But I think, you know, as weird as as it may sound to, you know, outsiders, you know, even finishing three and 10 was probably outperforming expectations. Um, well, yeah, you look at New Mexico and Nevada. Nevada had a new head coach, Ken Wilson, not many wins. So yeah, they, you know, and they, because they were starting from such a from such a, a hole in terms of like experience. Yeah. Um it obviously wasn't perfect, um, you know, I think, but you could see enough improvement over the course of the season in different ways, even if it never really fully came together. 
you know, one example that I sort of drew upon to really sort of illustrate this point is the fact that when they played their five non-conference games in the first half of the season, they allowed 7.33 yards per play. Not great by any stretch. Their first three games were losing by four to five touchdowns. Exactly. And in conference play, in the eight games that they played within the Mountain West, that figure dropped to 6.16. And granted, both of those were still dead last among teams in the conference. But I mean, there's little doubt that, you know, when you looked, if you, if you were watching the games and you were, and you were looking at this team closely, it was a better team by the second half of last year than it was that we saw in August and September. And so, you know, the challenge for them heading into 2023 is, okay, they overperformed once. Can they do it again with a whole new set of challenges at their, you know, along their path? You know, they're fully installing the run and shoot once again on offense. You know, they have, you know, plenty of youth that I would imagine is going to be expected to contribute on both offense and defense. And, you know, some of last year's strengths, you know, like the offensive line are sort of rebuilding in some sense. And so it's the situation is not quite the same. You know, I think on paper, they they may still be another year or two away from truly opening the competitive window. But I do think that, yeah, but but I do think that based on recent history, you know, there's there are plenty of reasons to expect that there could continue to be a thorn in the side of everybody else in the Mountain West. Yeah, I mean, look at just real quick. Last year, only two conference games. That overall, they only they only won two games of conference. They beat Nevada and UNLV. So maybe they should paint. Should we have painted the canyon green because they beat both Nevada schools? <laughs> so that's something to consider. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if anybody in Nevada would allow that, but I know. Can't but say, can't only, say they didn't earn that. Exactly. So to only two of the games were double digit losses in conference play. San Jose State yeah. 27-14, Fresno 55-13. Everything else was those one possession games in conference play. Shad. So like they were knocking on the door for everybody. So like you said, if they could turn change a couple of things here or there with obviously new people coming in. Um, one area where they was kind of go to quarterback, it's gonna be Brandon Schrager, Brandon Schrager taking over once again. So in that position, one thing I noticed, not, it's not necessarily on him, but it's just kind of the offense overall. So our buddy Pete Futak put this up at CFN, collegefootballnews.com. Mm-hmm. So when they went to the, the conference title game a couple years ago, I know it's three, it's going to be now four years ago, but this kind of shows you where you need to be to be a really good team. Their third down conversion was um, 47% complete, com- complete, which is pretty good. Last mm-hmm. year was 34.5%. So that's a big difference. Um, and in, in four games, when they they converted forty percent or more, they went three and one. So it's kind of a dummy statement. If the offense moves the ball better, they will clearly play better. But that just shows like that's not a that thirty four and a half percent. That's not that's one out of every three. That's not good on third down conversions. Mm-hmm. So that's one area where it's Schrager, where it's the new offense. Like if they're going to pass the ball a lot more, because he's one of the most, if not the most, him and Shavon Cordero at San Jose State, or what are they probably the most experienced quarterbacks in the conference? I would say. Does that sound about right? Maybe. You know, when you really think about it, they might be. Yeah, Air Force new quarterback, the Mexico new quarterback. Doug Brunfield's been hurt or played a couple of years. Uh, Nevada, we don't know really what's going on. San Diego State, um, Boise State. Yeah, I think they might be. So he's one of the more experienced guys out there. So hopefully that experience with this new offense can help get that going because the run and shoot, they're going to want to, and we've mentioned this before periodically, run and shoot clearly. It's not necessarily a clock. Let's run four plays like a, a play every 10 seconds. 
They're going to want to set up. They're going to want to have four receivers, maybe five. Running shoes, basically five almost every time, four minimum. And so they're not necessarily going to be running the clock, run pace. They could, but it'll be a thing where they manipulate the defense. Okay, you need all these DBs out here with with the experienced quarterback and slowly – because Timmy Chang's doing a good thing. He's slowly moving to it because it's not too far-fetched because when they had Nick Rolovich, Todd Graham, was he there for two years? Is that it? Yeah, 2020-2021. So not very not very long. So it wasn't so there could be a couple of players who were back when Rolovich was running the doing the run and shoot a couple of years ago. Not many to these guys now. So it's not super unfamiliar. So Timmy Ching doing a slow move, going from what Todd Graham ran to what he wants to run now, similar to what Rolovich run. And it's not far fetched for why historically to run three to five wide. So having that experienced quarterback could be a thing where if they just get that third out conversion up and keep the tempo in their favor. That's going to be a big thing. They did lose a backup quarterback, Cameron Cooper, to uh, transfer portal, so they do lose some depth there. But he didn't play last year, so that's the one big concern. If if Schrager goes down, that's where I could see a problem with not having a backup that's um, played much, if at all. Well, I think you know, I think the established backup would probably be Joey Yellen, who split time, you know, split starting bit, yeah. time with Schrager in the first half. Of, of the season you know he had three starts in non-conference play before you know shager really took the role for himself but i think it's it's telling that when you look at conference play in particular timmy chen wasn't shy about putting a lot on Braden shager's plate you know because in, at least in terms of like pass attempts per game among the among the conference uh, uh, among the quarterbacks in mountain west play no one was throwing the ball more often than he was 36.5 passes per game. And granted, you know, the numbers don't necessarily look that impressive. He only completed 54% of his throws, 54.1, only 5.8 uh, yards per attempt. But if you dig a little further into the numbers, there's a pretty decent case that I think you can build that he might be a pretty sound breakout candidate this year. I could see that. Yeah, because he had... T- 10 interceptions can be improved upon 13 touchdowns. If he plays full time, that could go up to maybe closer to 20 with him starting literal every game and not necessarily with Yellen last year, kind of splitting a little bit of time here or there. Yeah. So if you're, if you're looking to make the optimists case for, for Shager and by extension, this run and shoot offense, you know, some of the numbers that pro football focus put out there, I think tell you most or sort of provide most of the evidence for it. You know, uh, among the quarterbacks in the conference who had at least 100 pass attempts, there were 16 of them all together. Sorry, I'm switching tabs real quick. So Shaker had a a 4.5% big-time throw rate. And he averaged, you know, his average depth of target was exactly 10 yards. Both of those were six in the Mountain West. So he was slightly above average in terms of his ability to push the ball downfield and the frequency with which he was asked to do it. And maybe just as importantly, he also had a turnover-worthy rate, despite having 10 interceptions, only 3.7%. That was actually one of the lower figures anywhere in the Mountain West. Um, you know, by, by way of comparison, like Taylor Green, for example, his turnover-worthy rate percentage was 4.6%. And I think maybe most importantly... You know, and in terms of the pressures that turned into sacks, second lowest figure in the in the in the Mountain West, only nine point nine percent, and he also had to deal with a drop rate among his receivers of fourteen percent. Mm. 
the second highest rate in the Mountain West. So, you know, which is the which is a long way of saying that you know whatever improvements that he is able to make isn't going to be simply on him alone. You know, we'll talk more about the receivers in a few minutes, but it's it's a long way of saying that you know there is a lot of evidence to suggest that you know with a full off season to truly acclimate to this offense with a full off season to get familiar you know with the pass catchers who are likely to see the the largest roles in this offense with better health around them in the in that particular unit there's yeah, a lot to like here that's what, that's what i'm saying no there is the offense going to be there's room for improvement for sure whether it be, because one thing too with, with Shager there, that's, or I guess him and Yellen, twenty total sacks, yeah, that's mm-hmm. okay. So that's not it's what just over one a game. That's not unreasonable, but improve that a little bit. Like there's a lot of small things to do. Get to fifty five to fifty nine percent, fewer interceptions, a couple more TDs. Like there's small increments can improve, and an offense that's not typically run a lot. That's an area where, like I said, we're there's a lot to like because why was again they're close. If a couple things happened last year, they win. They win five games, six games possibly. Mm-hmm. And the offense is like I mentioned, a third down conversion, things like that. So with the running shoot, how much do we care about the running backs? Like how you should care and, a lot. That's what I'm making sure. I know rhetorical for me, but definitely want the answer. But that's what people want people to know about because they do. Um, they lose Dedrick Parson, who is no longer in the program. So, but even if they do one running back, it doesn't mean they're not going to run. Because think of it this way, guys. If you spread out, if you go five wide, or sorry, you can't go five wide running back. Apologies, four wide and running back. You're splitting the field out where there's you got you have a fewer line and one one less linebacker, or maybe one defensive lineman or whatever defense you're going up against. And they're they're a big running place, even with the quarterback draw, because that's a play that will be run with the running shoot offense. And I'm guessing it'll be like Tylen Hines. I'm not guessing Tylen Hines who. What did he average last year? Seven yards? Seven point six yards per carry. On only 83 carries, so keep that in mind. It wasn't a full workload to 150 plus. And so that correlation is not going to be there. If it was, well, he'd be like one of the best running backs in the country. If he ran 100, 180 times at seven yards a carry, I'd be wild. He does catch the ball a little bit too. So that's something as well to consider if they want to do put him in the passing attack. So he he's another breakout candidate who could be because I talked to guys at on Hawaii radio out there like asks about Tyler Hines Tyler Hines so I don't recall where we had him on our um, I don't think he's on all conference list I don't remember if he made our four deep but they asked me about him and like we clearly said he won't keep that pace up but if he dude if he's five point two that's really really good if he's five yards of carry that would be something quite amazing and he's not going to be in this running 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 shoot offense you're not going to be Obviously, it's not heavy running. So he's not going to be leading the conference in like 300 plus carries like Brad Roberts got last year. Like no. him getting 200 might be a lot. Like he might be in the range of uh, Harry Robinson 157. I think that could be a range. That's what 12 a game, maybe. He might get a little bit more, but he's not going to be running 20 plus a game. So getting about 15, no. 10 to 15, not 10, but 15 carries a game probably seems about right. Because last year, Jedrick Parson. When they were not doing a run and shoot, still had 14.3 carries per game. So if he's mm-hmm. in that range, which I could see, that's 187 carries. So if he can get to about 500 carry on that, that because he did lead, he was second in the conference in yards per play last year running the ball. But if he can pull back, like he's going to pull back, we all know. But it's important, like you mentioned, it's very important because it's going to keep teams 
Hawaii has to keep teams honest when they're when running the ball and passing the ball in this this type of offense with four wide receivers or three in a tight end with a running back. You're going to have to respect the run because it's similar like the reverse effect of Air Force. If they take the step back and they're focused just on the receivers, he's going to bust out and blow out a 30-yard run, a 25, 40-yard run when there's only four guys, like five guys rushing the quarterback, especially if they drop it to teams that want a zone or mixed coverage to – help those those crossing routes for linebackers who may take a step back. It could be five versus three on the offensive line, and it could be a breakout play occasionally. Mm-hmm. So that's a reason why this – and then even with the quarterback, like QB drawer, they might even do a little – did they do – I don't know if they – remind me of that. Did Nick Rolovich run like a quick option occasionally, like they dart to the side where it's an option play with all the receivers and one back? Was that something they did in this offense? I can't quite recall, but I know that Cole McDonald was fairly mobile. Maybe that's what it was. So, yeah, so I guess it wouldn't shock me if they wanted to do something similar with Shager in the backfield. But I think to to your original point, it is going to be vitally important that they do find some counterbalance to an offense that is going to be pass heavy. Because, mm-hmm. you know, everybody remembers Cole McDonald. But how many people remember that Miles Reed also had 900 yards rushing mm-hmm. Yeah, when the Warriors won the division in 2019? Running backs are just as important in this offense, or they can be just as important in this offense as the quarterback, as the pass catchers. You know, I think maybe the best possible example of that from recent memory, Diosmi St. Juiced. Yeah, it was really good. Who had over who had over 3,000 yards in his career with the Warriors. So that to me makes Hines one of the most interesting players anywhere in the Mountain West. Yeah, because if you look at some of his numbers, you know, relative to other backs in the Mountain West, it's kind of staggering what he was able to accomplish last year in such a small sample size. You know, like for example, on Pro Football Focus, you know, they have you know yards per contact uh, or yards after contact per attempt, yeah. and he was basically so like everybody knows Ashton Genty and how good he was last year. They basically averaged the exact same amount of yards after contact per attempt last year. Genty and Hines, 3.88 versus 3.87. Hines also had 33 missed tackles on just 83 rushing attempts, which was 13th in the conference. And, you know, for the sake of comparison, there were at least, you know, a couple of running backs who had more attempts who had fewer missed tackles. And then maybe... You know, to the point about like yards per carry, that really to really emphasize the fact that he was a he has the potential to be a home run hitter in the backfield. You know, the other stat that I really looked at that really caught my attention: breakaway percentage, which is you know the PFF measures it as as you know rushing yardage on designed attempts of more than fifteen yards. And Hines was uh was third among all Mountain West running backs in that regard. 54.6% of his breakaway percentage. Ooh. Which is a long way of saying like he had 18 runs of uh of more than 10 yards and just you know that small sample size of, of rushing attempts. He's not likely to do it all himself though. And so it's gonna be just as important that they find other guys because you know, being listed at what he's like five seven and one hundred seventy five pounds, like he's not going to be that bell cow type running back. So they are going to need contributions, you know, in a similar vein from other veterans like Nas J. Bryant, Lee, you know, Jordan Johnson is still around. You know, so they have other running backs in that mold of mm-hmm. you know someone who could sort of slash through the tackles 
and and maybe you know take advantage of an offensive line that you know may not be as as veteran heavy as it was last year, but was still pretty good about opening holes most of the time. I think the other thing to keep an eye on, you know, whether it's Heinz or someone else in this group, it's going to be just as important that whoever spends time in that backfield, that they can be an outlet in the passing game too, because Parson, you know, for as, as strong as he was as a runner, it's easy to remember or easy to forget rather. He also had 58 catches over the last two years as well. Well, and so did, um, well, shoot, what's his name? We just talked about Tyon Hines had, not many, but he still is productive. He had what fifteen catches, I think it was. Um nine sorry, nine for eighty-two. I apologize. So when he got the ball, he's productive. So and you, like you mentioned with um Parson, it's it's a it's a thing and it's something they do in the offense. So that's going to mm-hmm. just help everything out. Like just more touches for those guys with with Hines that breakaway he has and and just seven yards every time he gets the ball, eight about eight yards every time when including the receptions. It's good. You can't sleep on this unit just because they're pass heavy in the running game. You can't leave that all and ignore it for defenses. That's right. Who's, who's catching the ball for these guys? What do they got receiving wise? That because, is a really good question. Because if they're going to run and shoot, that's five, that's four to five wide. And that's going to be a bit. And it doesn't seem like much, you know, you know, considering that Zion Bowens was the you know, the departed Zion Bowens. He's graduated, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, only led the team 35 catches, 494 yards, and four touchdowns. But they are also having to replace six of the nine players who had more than 20 targets last year. So there are going to be a lot of passes to go around. And one of the major questions is, okay, well, who's going to come down with them? Because the closest thing they have to an established option is Jonah Pinoke. You know, missed a little bit of time with injury last year. Seven games, though, 27 catches, 312 yards and one touchdown. I have to think that you know he's probably going to land one of those three or four starting spots. If I had to guess as to who else is likely to start the majority of the games, you know I would look at the guys who also got a lot of run last year: Jalen Walthall, Tomatoa Mokiao Atamalala. Those two combined for forty-two catches and three touchdowns last year. Um, Kuali Nishigaya is back from injury. He was only in four games last year, but he was expected to contribute out of the slot as well. They also brought in Stephen McBride, Kansas through the transfer portal. So, like, they've got a number of guys. Like, we haven't even mentioned other guys like Chucky Hines and, and Nick Senecal. There are plenty of options that could feasibly step up. And, like, we haven't even talked about the tight ends either, which was another thing that really separated Timmy Chang's run and shoot last year, at least, when, when Caleb Phillips was an all-conference tight end, which is, yeah, is also- not something that you would have ever thought of from a, from a Hawaii offense. It's not something now that is typically featured that position, but they've got guys who could feasibly step up and, and hold down a role like that. Guys like Grayson Morgan, Oki Salavea, Devin Tauefa. So they've got a number of players who could feasibly step up and, and be part of that group that catches 20 or that, that sees 20, 30 targets. They may not necessarily have like one John or Sua type, but they might have three or four guys who could end the year with something like 40 catches for, for 500, 600 yards if everything goes just, their way. And let's bring versatility to the versatility to the offense. Yeah. Because they're going, like I said, they're going three, four wide. And it would help with the running game. You have a big guy, bigger guy, like to clip somebody or just kind of fade somebody away on like some sort of play action or even just kind of a delay. 
RPO type stuff. Also, should mention um, transfer like uh, possibly Stephen McBride from Kansas could be a yeah. guy because it's gonna it's gonna be a volume thing. There's gonna be if you're running running out there three to four receivers, three three to five actually receivers every play, probably tight end whatever you want to call it, about four average of four a play. You got to go ten deep, right, for receiver slash tight end. You're gonna have to have a huge group of guys back there if you're running so many guys out. There. I know the subbing situation is what you want to limit because so defenses can't sub because if you don't sub they can't sub but you still want to go deep if you're rolling out three to five receivers every play and so mm-hmm. it's a, with them throwing more than even last year there's gonna be opportunities abound for somebody to come up in whether it's one person or remember a couple of years ago like guys like marcus kemp where getting guys like could three guys have like over 65 catches or something like that a few years ago when it all those guys coming in, I'm not sure if it'll be that type of a that's that's, scenario. Like, the, that's like if everything goes right and they yeah, yeah, hit yeah, the yeah. ground running from from week zero onwards. I think. Yeah, but I could see a couple guys being like, if they're gonna throw as much as we think, not that number, but there's it's gonna be volume play. There's gonna be guys who you could have your number six receiver have 25 catches or something on this team if they throw as much as they, we think they could. But it all doesn't matter unless they get like running running the ball well. Then like offensive line, which is a uh, well, kind of changing, overhauling again a little bit, right? <laughs> Not necessarily. It's over. It's overhauling a lot of it. Yeah, and it's, and that, and that is really critical because the offensive line, for, for as experienced as it was last year, was a, I would say a relative strength by a lot of the metrics that I that I like to look at. Like they were right around the national average, for example, in line yards per carry um, generated. You know, 69th overall along FBS offense is 2.71. Uh, in that category, they were above average in opportunity rate generated 49.7, which is 45th overall. And that's and that, like I said, as a credit, I would say, uh, times as well as that offensive line unit. But they were also pretty good about, you know, short yardage situations as well. You know, the power success rate, 79.3%. That was 12th overall. And when it came to protecting Shager, giving him and taking advantage of, a, uh, of his quick release, only a 4.6% sack rate allowed as well. That was 34th in the country. But now you're heading into 2023, and you might have four new starters up front. Yeah, they have a center, center return either with uh, Ilikai Tunavasa, but they need more guys. They've trained like transfer Josh Atkins is coming in from University of Houston, but they need to find guys who've played and can step in right away because Vanderbilt. They start off with, I know that's not an amazing team, but last year they got their butt kick versus, versus Vanderbilt. So mm-hmm. if they're, if this off, the good thing about this off with the off with the run and shoot, they're going to, it's quick passes. So you don't necessarily need with already, well, whatever, they're losing all the guys. So that, does, that doesn't apply here. But if you're, if you're throwing the ball quickly, your offensive line needs to, doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily need to give you that three seconds drop back and wait and wait and wait as often. It'll, it'll definitely need to be there because there'll be times where, Schrager's going through his reads one through five to find who's open. But with the quick passing they do, that could offset maybe uh, potential offensive line issues or just inexperience of playing this type of scheme. So that's mm-hmm. something that I, you could think could come into play where, okay, if they release the ball quickly, odds of you getting sacked, less likely. So that's kind of a positive with kind of with rebuilding and finding four new starters from last year's so offensive line. Yeah, and, and it's not to say that they don't have some familiar names or some guys who saw a lot of playing time last year who could step up into those roles. You mentioned Tom Obasa at center. That seems pretty much set. Yeah. You know, they also guy. bring back they also bring back Sergio Muisau, 
who played over 500 snaps last year, you got starting time at both center and guard. I would imagine that he's likely to end up at probably one of the two latter spots. Um, And they also bring back, you know, they also bring back Solo Vipulu, who comes into 2023 as maybe the most experienced, one of the most experienced offensive linemen anywhere in the Mountain West at this point. I think that the major key is, you know, who's going to step up and replace the, the the pair of tackles that have moved on Austin Hop and Neil Manning, and because it could be you know a guy like former Utah transfer Luke Felix Fulalo, could be a younger guy like you know Kaina DeCambra, it could be Atkins like you mentioned, could be someone like Mike uh, Murray Taragi, so they've got options up front, but there is a lot more that is unknown about how this unit is going to come together, and you know. I don't think I don't think we need to you know state the obvious, but you know a quality offensive line is going to go a long way towards you know enabling this run and shoot to operate at at peak performance. Yeah, it's definitely yes, <laughs> that is a thing. If in the run and shoot, because it's all about efficiency, it's no different than a, it's because even it's also like a timing based offense too, most likely, mm-hmm. like the run option with Air Force or their the pulling guards, you know what you're doing every play. So it, it, it it's a dummy statement. Oh, yeah, offensive line's good. They'll be fine. They'll be better. But it's – I think of the coaching they have with how well they did last year, it's a combination. You know, you, met, you mentioned, yeah, these guys didn't start necessarily last year, but 500-plus snaps, a guy played at University of Utah, comes over and plays. University of Utah is a pretty good level. They come over and play. They've had experience playing, just that starting playing experience. So it's like, okay, if you have 500 snaps – that's what seven games maybe worth of thinking eight, six games. I don't know how many snaps depends what your efficient opponent efficiency or your efficiency was offensively, but that's a good number of games to be played. But I think mm-hmm. the coaching staff helping with how many, the sack, what would you say they're top 35 in a, the sack, um, sacks allowed percentage, yeah. correct? Sack rate. I mean, that's the proper term. Yeah. Coaches know what they're doing. So clearly the backups who learned under this game last year, guys who had part-time playing this unit, new faces, Got to step up and play well, but I think there's some reasonable confidence that they'll be okay. That they may not be as good as last year, but maybe they don't have to be. But it's an area where I'm not overly concerned, just with how they performed last year and what um, what we expect. Moving more toward a quicker passing game, they don't need to be elite because you only if you, I'd rather block for one and a half seconds and four seconds, right? That's a lot mm-hmm. easier. <laughs> so that's an area where I think it'll be they'll be fine. It's just like who's gonna take over and. Hopefully there's not a rotational thing or guys bounce in on lineup because we've seen Boise State notoriously over the past couple of years, six offensive starting lineups on the offensive line in seven games. So you don't want that. You If they can keep a consistent group, that goes for any team, that'll be quite helpful. And I think they have enough talent to where, like most of the guys you mentioned, three of them are pretty good. It's just a tackle spot you mentioned that's going to be the biggest concern. Yeah. All right, so what are we ready for defense? Yeah. Uh, heesh. Um, are they going to not allow like 40 points a game this year? <laughs> not that they're well, at that 40. Depends. But... That depends. Because, and, and I think, you know, the way that you have to look at this Warriors defense, or at least the way that I'm choosing to look at it, it looks like they have the makings of a, of a sound foundation. But at the same time, there is still pretty clearly plenty left to accomplish on the set of the ball. You know, because in addition to what I mentioned earlier, as far as, you know, the the improvements that they made last year, even though they still finished dead last, you know, I think it is also worth noting at this juncture that 
you know, in terms of points per drive allowed, for example, they were on, on this side of the ball, they were 123rd overall among FBS defenses, over three points per drive allowed. You know, same thing with available yards percentage. You know, they gave up nearly nearly 60% of available yards per drive, 123rd there as well. And, you know, that same kind of inefficiency carries over to a number of other stats too. You know, opportunity rate, 113th. You know, stuff rate, you know, their ability to stop plays at or behind the line of scrimmage, 15.2%. That was 100th in the country. Mm-hmm. Same thing with their team sack rate, only 4.7. Uh, that was 110th. And so they've got some pieces that could make up the foundation, not only for this year, but maybe even for next year as well. But, you know, if we want to start up front with the defensive line, you know, part of what's going to help this unit take a step forward is just, you know, coalescing around the guys who sort of led the charge last year. And if I'm looking at a duo that is that is sort of like the tip of the proverbial spear, you might say, I look at mm-hmm. John Tuit Poe in the middle with the three and a half sacks on the interior. And I look at Jonah Kohahawai Welch, who had seven and a half TFLs off the edge. They need yeah, more but... guys to, to, I would say, to step up around that tandem. And I think they have some interesting candidates, but I'm interested to sort of get your opinion on it first. Well, one thing that'll help, because the year before last, like last year, it was almost 35 points a game they gave up. They Do you know how many starters they lost from last from two years ago to last year? A lot. Ten. Yeah. So... If depending what you consider a starter, because it can always vary, there's about nine starters back from last year to this year. And we always mention, or I mentioned a bunch where it's like, just because you have, like, they were terrible last year. There's no doubt about it. They were bad defensively for the most part. They get some guys in secondary, we'll get to later. But experience playing, they turned around from the first half to second half with all the losing to the next to the state by multi scores is embarrassing. Once they got to conference play, it was like I mentioned, it was all these one score games except for two. So they did improve during that time, but they do need more playmakers to go after the quarterback and stop the running, running attack. And like what you mentioned, those two players, they are legit the ones they need to come in and play and their guys experience lead of the way. Like, I don't know, could Andrew, Andrew Troy be something where he had a handful of starts, like five TFLs last year, guys like that? Could he be somebody? I think it's a possibility. I just think with the experience they have and actually playing games, like it's no small, it's like the, oh, they played game. But I think with these type of guys, just seeing the field last year for the first time as a starter, there's not the learning curve much lower. The defense is going to be the same as last year, essentially. They just now need guys like, oh, I played last year. It's not my first time playing San Jose State or Air Force. I've played this team before. I know what to expect. And so I think that could go a long way with the experience of starting, even though they were terrible last year. Like, odds are they're not going to be worse, and that's kind of a low bar to set. But mm-hmm. getting guys, I, I just think that's where the, it will turn around, turn around to be, turn out to be, excuse me, that if they get to 30 points per game, that's not good, but that's a room. But I expect up front, those type of guys you mentioned, getting to the quarterback is going to be, it's a dumb statement, but it's going to be guys they're going to have to, they're going to get it done. And it shows one of those guys where I think he had what five TFLs last year. I mentioned like those type of guys getting mm-hmm. that pressure with the two to experienced guys back there who were making plays. Like, oh, well, maybe we'll need to double this guy, or you know, there's open lanes up for the linebackers, and we'll get to those guys in a moment. But I mm-hmm. think they have, like you mentioned, the tip of the spear is there. I just think guys around them that, that'll give them opportunity to where you know, there's a double, triple team, you do a little a scheme away from them a little bit. Not that Matt, the teams really need a scheme away from Hawaii defense, probably not. 
But even if they do a little bit, it'll open up plays for these other guys. And but I'll also add that this unit could be considerably deeper than last year's defensive line, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not only because they hit the transfer portal exceptionally hard to fill in the gaps up front, like they brought in a ton of dudes. You know, they brought in Josh Jerome from Eastern Washington, Patrick Hisatake from Cal, uh, Kuao Pehopa, and uh, Washington. Who else am I forgetting? There was another guy they brought in from Washington. I forget his name off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Pinal, excuse me. Um, okay. those two guys are in from, from UW, Anthony Saga Potulele, uh, Potele, excuse me, transferred in from UNLV, Elijah Robinson from East Carolina. So they've got a lot of potential newcomers that could step up and, and be a part of a rotation. So that they did, they may not necessarily need like one guy to sort of be the the one true pass rusher, I guess you might say, because they also have you know guys who you you mentioned Choi is one candidate. They also bring back you know Ty, uh, Tariq Jones from last year, and one guy that I'm very interested to see what he can do to take a step forward, Ezra Amivalo. Mm-hmm. Didn't play a whole lot last year, and he had r- roughly 350 snaps altogether. I think he only had like one or two starts. I forget off the top of my head. Um, but at the same time, you know, according to Pro Football Focus, he also had an overall grade, a run defense grade of 86.7, which I believe was fifth among all defenders in the Mountain West. And and granted, you know, on on uh, on the surface, like you know, only 20 tackles, only three and a half TFLs may not seem like much. But, but again, you're talking about a guy who's playing roughly like 50, 60% of the snaps that other, you know, more elite players in the conference were playing up in the trenches. So like if he is, if he continues to be a part of that rotation, I'm very interested to see if he can get more run as a starter in 2023. Yeah, that's if like, again, it goes back to the like the running back situation. Like, okay, if we give you this produ- production or excuse me, opportunity, how oh, will it stay the same, lower down, or just be still dang pretty good, but just not elite yeah. when you play as like you mentioned, half a game. So yeah. all those type of things, like experience coming back, more playing time, it'll all add up. But I think um, you do mention the depth there. How good do you think this linebacking group can be? Because what they have, like guys like uh, Isaiah Tufaga, Logan Taylor, they have all these guys coming back or, or joining this team and playing from last year. Like that area... Probably. I know they get Cam Stone get to a second, but the linebacking group is going to be legit and going to cause problems for people. Yeah, I think they have a trio that they probably feel pretty good about. You mentioned Jufaga and Taylor. They also bring back Noah Kemo, who started a handful mm-hmm. of games as well. I think the, the one thing that absolutely has to improve from last year is just you know improving the fundamentals, wrapping up, taking down defenders with more consistency. Because one thing that really jumped out to me when I was doing research for this podcast, you know, and again, according to Pro Football Focus, there were 15 Mountain West linebackers last year who played at least 100 snaps and had a missed tackle percentage of 20% or greater. Mm-hmm. Four of them played for Hawaii. Okay. Three of them happened to be Tufaga, Kema, and Taylor. So if, I, if I'm looking for one thing, that could make a world of difference. Even if they prove it, even if they improve it just a little bit, 
that's where I would start. Like these 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 linebackers are going to have a huge impact in their ability to keep, like for example, um, let's say a four or five yard run from being like a six or seven yard run. You know, think think little things like that that no, may not necessarily show up on the play by play sheet, but can make a world of difference from drive to drive and from week to week. You know, that's one of those sort of incremental things that I have to think, you know, Timmy Chang and defensive coordinator Jacob Yoro have on their minds when they're looking forward to how to put this defense together in 2023. Yeah, it's it's doing all the, those type of things because, yeah, they are looking at the to tackle rate. They were worse than conference in PFF and tackle for PFF on the defensive yeah. side, which I'm sorry. If you mentioned, I apologize, I was pulling up the sort. Surprising to see Wyoming pretty low as well, but they're, they're the lowest in tackle. Rush defense, I believe the lowest as well in PFF. So pressure. Mm-hmm. Short answer, Matt. They weren't good defensively. So I was looking at all these other numbers here. But you're right. They have if tack just do just dumb fundamentals. Do what you're supposed to do. Don't let the guy get stiff arm. You don't pull him by the jersey. Take him down two hands and be strong about it. Mm-hmm. But I, I I you're right. The three of linebackers there. Just get it's just attack mode. Like just let them go and play and figure and try to just let them uh, get to the backfield and they see to it's simple, make plays. I know it's dumb to say, I'll oh, just tackle, do this, man. Like all oh, the fundamentals, that's important, but it all comes back to like this kind of lame, but like you can't be worse than last year. And that's easy and cliche to say, but I think looking at their best players, they have to def- overall, like majority are probably in defense of what they have coming back or, or we're coming in, whether it be portal or re- returning production starters. So defense has clearly the biggest strides to make just because they're so bad last year. And returning all these starters and like I mentioned, Tufaga, these type of guys, Taylor and everybody coming in and wanting to improve from last year, it's going to be there. And so the secondary will be interesting, Matt, because they, they got Cam Stone coming to town. It's pretty good, right? He is pretty good. Yeah. I, I, he, their secondary, it all comes back to the same, like getting beat up, getting passed around, get allowing points. But him coming in will solidify a secondary right there that'll – Definitely help when they play teams when I don't sorry, I don't have the schedule entirely. I'll get that in a second. But when they're playing teams that want to pass the ball a lot, it's he's gotta have a shutdown corner, shutdown defensive back when you're playing teams that have elite receivers. Because when they got mm-hmm. Oregon, that could be Oregon, okay. They don't want to get embarrassed embarrassed first to Mexico State, so shut down those guys. It's like who San Jose State doesn't have great receivers, New Mexico not really. They got San Jose State to worry about and really CSU. So it's It'll take away from my point a little bit because we're playing teams that aren't going to pass a ton because Stanford's not very good. We'll talk about Vanderbilt in a minute, but it's kind of helps and hurts a bit because it'll help because if they're playing teams like Nevada, how great receivers they have. Air Force doesn't have many. They can just literally shut that guy down and then allow don't no no need to do like a uh, zone defense or kind of scheme around it when they're playing teams that don't have elite receivers where these guys can like, oh, I got you one-on-one or something. So I think that could go a big way for majority of the schedule. Then it could help the front seven concentrate on just attack and, you know, tackle people like you're supposed to. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to say that last year, the secondary had its, it had its moments, mm-hmm. even though by and large, they ended up getting picked on more often than not. Like they, they allowed a completion rate of uh, just under 64% and they allowed yeah. almost eight yards per attempt, 7.9. Both of those figures were dead last in the Mountain West. But I do think that the talent is there, or at least it might be there, for the Warriors to be able to take a step forward. Like you mentioned Stone. 
you know, that's an obvious pickup, 35 tackles, 10 pass breakups, and two interceptions last year at Wyoming. But, you know, you remember that Verdell Edwards, you know, who had three interceptions and five pass breakups himself, pretty quietly had a, had a decent year last year. And, and Peter Manuma, who, ste- who stepped into the starting lineup as a true freshman, 70 tackles, four pass breakups, three TFLs, two interceptions, Perfect. overall PFF grade of 74.1. I don't understand why he didn't get more attention in the same way that, like, for example, and Ike Larson did. Because he was definitely on the field for considerably considerably more time than Larson did and yeah. played pretty well, all things considered, even as the even as the secondary was shuffling around him. Um, you know, he he didn't really establish himself until like five, six weeks into the season. But then you look maybe. around and you you realize that like at one cornerback spot, you know, Edwards started all but two games. At the other cornerback spot, they had three different players who started at least one game. Um, you know, when Matagi Thompson got uh you know lost for the year with injury, you know, they had what one, two, three different players start at the other safety position opposite him. So you know, I th- I do think that Manuma is one of those you know up and rising stars that definitely deserves more attention. And and like the linebackers, like the defensive line, they could be deeper too, if some of their transfers here and and some of their youngsters really step up into 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 more prominent roles, and if they can handle those roles, like you know they have a, a Kaulana Makaula started a couple games last year, so did Becky Pay. He had four starts. Thompson is back to 100%. He started four games. Um, you know, they brought in Kilanahe Mendiola Jensen from UNLV. You know, they brought in Justin Sinclair, College of San Mateo, the JUCO ranks. He had seven interceptions in two years there uh, out here in California. Caleb Brown had five interceptions and 14 pass breakups at Butler Community College in uh, Kansas. So now all of a sudden they have options. And, and while they are likely to be tested, you know, to, to see whether or not, you know, deep offenses, I think are going to be tempted to see whether they can soften up this defense by attacking them down the field, but they have the makings to be able to take a step forward and, and be able to defend, I think, uh, more, a little more consistency. Yeah. And that, that's the thing, like, like how many points given up and re- replacing guys. I do, I do think you mentioned, I was looking at Peter Manuma stuff, like while you're chatting, I'm like, you're right. Like, he, not only does he get a couple of pass breakups, he's pretty pro- not pretty prominent, but re- had made a um not prominent, but uh, made his made a face for him out there for getting the quarterback as well. Mm-hmm. And so we had three TFLs of sacks. That's another wrinkle to the secondary defensively. Where I don't know if it was I don't recall if it was because the defensive line wasn't great, like we mentioned before. The front seven was just what not great. If they needed that help, or if it was a conscious effort to have him step up to the line and attack running backs or go for the QB. So that's mm-hmm. just a little something different that like he made lots of plays. It's just just shows he could be anywhere in the field. TFLs, couple picks, pass breakups. So this, those type of things will all come into play for what they could do. I think Dino will be pretty good because I know Stone comes, he's if you think about Stone, he comes in from Wyoming, plays within the conference. He's familiar with majority of the league. So it's not because that does matter with even though he switched teams, you learn your scheme, but you kind of know some tendencies and you're familiar with the conference. That's going to help as well. I, mm-hmm. I do think it's going to be better than last. Like we all said, it's so bad. It's my broken record. It's so bad. It's going to be better no matter what. 
but I do, I do think like you're correct on what they can do and certain players, like if Manuna can take the next step from last year to this year, like up for playing more, whatever, be more snaps for just more experience. Cause a lot of big steps these guys take is going to high school to FBS is a big jump going. Once you get a, any starter or freshman year one, year two, that's going to be just make him more comfortable and be able to make plays. And if you have a like stone back there to help cover and just experience out there of what he's seen, it's going to help everything overall. And I think Dune will be fine. And partially because like we go through the schedule, they're not facing too many teams that are just going to light it up in the air. And so that'll help this unit just lock that down and allow everybody else to concentrate on the um, other type of things on the offenses they're facing. Mm-hmm. Anything else that are we going to kicking, punting, return specialist here? So special teams has been fine. I guess you might say for Hawaii over the over the last several years, but it may be. I mean, there is definitely room for improvement, and because you know, not only does Stone give them an asset in the defensive backfield, he's also an asset as a kick returner as well. Like he he had a kick return touchdown last year, did he not? Or was it two years Um, ago? I can check, but even let me check real quick. But he's a you're right. He's a guy back there can do it. It's like have him have him take all positions over Matt. You know what I mean? Like let him. Let him do those type of things. But if you have the guy who's done it before, why mess with it? It was this? two seasons like, ago, by the way. Okay. But give him the chance to do that, and why not? That's a, an explosive playmaker. Good. Good for them. Yeah, and then as far as, you know, the rest of special teams, it mostly comes down to one guy, Matthew Shipley. You know, to so. his to, you know, to date in his career, 41.1 career yards per punt, uh, 76.4 field goal success rate. So he's been okay. But I do think that you know they're you know, relative to other specialists in the conference. You know he he's I would say maybe a tier below the guys above him. You know guys like Jack Browning, Jonah Dalmas, John Hoyland, and guys like that. But mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, he was also in that group of of three players that I just mentioned. He had you know an eighty percent on field goals last year, sixteen of twenty altogether. That was I believe a career best. So. You know, he has shown year by year improvement, and I think that that is worth making a note of as well. So, I, uh, yeah, he's, he's, I would say rock solid, if, if not necessarily like a, an, a plus plus specialist. Let's put it that way. Mm, okay. So they'll, they'll be, they'll be all right. They'll, they'll, I think they'll right. be fine. All right. Schedule time. Ready to talk about the games that they're playing and yeah, hopefully win it. some. So they open up the season week zero at Vanderbilt. I'm not going to be. Uh, oh, you still there? Yes. Okay. I had a huge screech in my speaker. I'm like, oh, my headset. I'm like, oh, that sounded weird. Like lightning strikes. You hear a little. Bzzz. I'm like, oh boy. Thought I lost power or something. That was weird. So they go to Vanderbilt in Nashville. Remember, we talked about the scores last year. It was not close. And Vanderbilt no. wasn't good. Wasn't good last year. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt did was get better last year. Still not good, but yeah, better. But they were some people are, I think are playing tricks on us or anybody because I think a half a dozen people picked them to win the SEC this year, or at least their division. And they're not winning their SEC division. That's trust me, that's not happening. So, but this team, they're it's on the road, so it'll be obviously very difficult. It is a week zero game, so we're gonna watch because it's early on. I just that's a you know how far it is to go to Nashville from Honolulu, Matt? That's a far. That's far. That is that's extremely, true. <laughs> extremely far, far. But as for like what they're seeing with their, 
I'm, it's already a loss for me, but they are playing a lower level team in SEC where I do think there's chances for them to do something and make it what a two, not a four touchdown loss. But as for like who they have coming back and what's going on on this roster, I just do you think Timmy Chang's like just don't be whisper, don't be worse than last year, don't be worse than last year against these guys because they do have AJ Swan a quarterback and he was fine. He kind of split time a little bit. It's still him, right? It's not Mike Wright anymore. It's just, is is that the case? No, Mike Wright transferred. AJ Swan, you know, stepped up as a starter. That's in the second half of the year. Okay, uh, as, true, as a true freshman. Uh, 58.1% to throws yeah. completed. Uh, only 6.4 yards per attempt, which maybe has to do with uh, you know, not, be able to, not being able to push the ball down the field as often as they would like. But he had 10 touchdowns and, at oh, least you know, impressively for a true freshman, 1% interception rate. Pretty yeah, solid. That's pretty good. They One thing they do lose, though, Ray Davis went to Kentucky, the running back from last year, and he had over 1,000 yards. That's a big loss for them. And then Mike Wright was the number two leading rusher. So the running game is an area. So they're going to have to lean on, I guess, Patrick Smith as their leading returning rusher, 150 yards. So it's going to be, I think, a lot of the quarterback play, like A.J. Swan having to step up because they lose the vast majority. They lose 1,600 of the 1,900 rushing yards. That's not good, Matt. So I'd expect a lot of At the of, same uh, time, they've got a they've got a pretty good pair of wide receivers at their disposal, too, like Will Shepard. Oh, yeah. Really um good. Yeah, last year, 60 catches, 776 yards, and nine touchdowns. Um, you may recall that he had two against Hawaii himself last year. Um, you know, he's Yeah, he's back. Jaden McGowan, as a, as a sophomore, 44 catches, 453 yards, three touchdowns. He's back. Quincy Skinner averaged 14 yards per carry. So I think you know, between that trio and, and Swan under center with a full offseason, you know, and I would say unquestioned grasp on the uh, on that starting position, the offense could be in line to take a step forward. I think the bigger question is you know, how they're going to replace some of their big uh, pieces on defense. And we talked about it a little bit during the UNLV podcast as well. You know, the big question I, I would say overall is how are they going to replace their star linebacker Anthony Orgy? You know, he was a, a very big productive playmaker in the middle of that defense. But they do happen to bring back, you know, CJ Taylor. He's sort of their flex piece in that position. They call it the the anchor position in that. Uh, I believe it's a four-two-five that they play. Um, led all Vanderbilt defenders with a PFF grade of seventy-four point six, fifty-six total tackles, seven TFLs. So they've they've got some pieces, and I think you know even if by SEC standards. You know, they're probably still likely to finish a lot closer to the bottom of the SEC East than the top. Um, yeah. I think they still have a talent advantage over Hawaii. So I'm not expecting it to be like a 45-point blowout the same way that it was last year. But I do think that Vanderbilt should be able to hold serve comfortably at home. Yeah, they'll probably win by two touchdowns. Then they, then they play Stanford Friday night. Oh, sorry. I assume it's lost, right, Matt? Do I need to step, step on that or were you saying defeat, right, officially? Yeah. <laughs> okay, just making sure. Then they play Stanford Friday night at home. Stanford has new head coach in Troy Taylor after David Shaw. I forget, did he step down or was he actually fired? No, I believe he just resigned. Good. Okay. He's he's a good coach. There's a lot of issues in Stanford. But they get um it's a short week. So like people know it's a short week here at home, but that's a lot. Like I mentioned, it's a long trip 
to come back from Vanderbilt, Nashville to Hawaii to play Friday night. Um, I believe it's Stanford's home openers, or excuse me, openers as well, correct? I believe so, yeah. Yes, it is. So a couple of things about Stanford, like they lose uh, Tanner McKee this quarter, or yeah, oh, she's a Tanner McKee. Yeah, Tanner McKee, sorry, spaced. He's gone. So they lose their quarterback. New coach, Troy Taylor, who comes up from Sac State, who was really good. Tanner McKee, yeah. But they lose uh, Brigham Taylor, who Sac State, what were they, playoff team a couple years for FCS? Is that correct? Back-to-back Big Sky Champs, I believe. Big Sky Champs. So they bring in experienced coaches done well. I do remember him from University of Utah, where he wasn't great as OC, so we'll see how this goes. Coming from success at FCS level to now Stanford, which who knows where they'll be at, breaking a new quarterback. But I do believe their key player probably might be like Casey Philkins running the ball, but he only had like oh, not even 500 yards last year because they were throwing a bit more with, with uh, McKee there. So they do have an okay run. And again, I say okay running game, like EJ Smith is there as well. They weren't explosive offensively. They weren't all that great. And so I don't know what to expect, because, but they're one of the few teams that uses a fullback still. And so that's what kind of we expect. And this is where that we mentioned about the Hawaii's front seven, where there are some playmakers or some good, good guys could potentially have some issues if Stanford decided just to try to bulldoze them over because they have a huge offensive line as well as usual. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's likely to be the case. You know, obviously, you know, the Cardinal have to figure out their quarterback situation. You know, they've got at least three guys who are probably the front runners to be that QB1. You know, Ari Patu, who was a backup over the last couple of years. Um, Ashton Daniels saw 10 games as a true freshman. They also brought in Justin Lamson from Syracuse to the transfer portal. And you know, but you know, to your point about the running game, I do think that that is likely to be a relative strength of theirs. Like both Philkins and Smith, I believe, had season-ending injuries, which helps explain why their production was so yeah. low. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and EJ Smith, by the way, did you realize he was the son of Emmett Smith? I did not know that. That's good for him. Keep that running Fun back game alive. Um, and they also have at least one pretty reliable player in the passing game and in, in the tight end Benjamin Urasek. Um over the last two years, 92 catches, 100, 100 or excuse me, 1100 yards, five touchdowns. He was an all conference second team performer last year. So you know, whoever wins that QB competition is going to have at least one reliable player that they can count upon. Um Stanford also interestingly might have the best kicker in the country. You know, Joshua Cardi was a Lou Groza award finalist which I'm sure is something that a lot of Mountain West football fans listening to the podcast can appreciate. <laughs> Perfect yes. on field goal attempts last year, 18 of 18, including 13 of them from 40 or more yards. That's impressive. Not totally. So that that's something where it all, Hey, every yard counts, right? Kicking special teams. Yeah. Field, field goals. And then I do think that, I do think that they have a fair amount of talent in, in the front seven. I think the trick is, you know, they're losing so much on both sides of the ball that you know they need a lot of players to step up around this really young nucleus. Um, you know, because I look at you know a pair of players who played a lot as true freshmen for the Cardinal last year, linebacker David Bailey and defensive end Jackson Moy. Um, you know, Bailey, I believe, was the if I remember correctly, was the first true freshman to start a season opener under David Shaw. Interesting. 11 games altogether, nine starts, 46 tackles, 
team high eight and a half tackles for loss and two and a half sacks. You know, Moy, um, I believe, is the only 300-pound defender. He was pretty busy as a true freshman as well. Um, only one start, but he made 22 tackles, four and a half TFLs. They also brought in Gaithan Bernadel through the transfer portal from Florida International. He was uh, uh, one of uh, he was one of the few defenders in Conference USA last year with over 100 tackles. He had eight TFLs for the Panthers as well. So they've got a lot of potential to be at least a little bit better than the program. I think they're projected dead last in the Pac-12, if memory serves. But they do have like a lot of interesting young talent. But I do think that you know the problem for them is they have a lot of major questions, same as Hawaii does. And I do wonder whether or not the Warriors might be able to take advantage of a secondary that's like for as for as much promising talent as they have in the in the front seven. I don't know that you could say that about Stanford secondary. So I actually have this one as a Hawaii win. So do I. What? Also, we should mention Lavani Demuni linebacker gone as well. The leading defender from last year. So mm-hmm. that's a big loss. I have I do have the Hawaii win as well. FPI has it about a sixty. Was it sixty five thirty five? So mm-hmm. in their favor, it's 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 at home. New coach. Weird things can happen late night in Hawaii football, and that game's going to be not the typical super late. It's going to be a so it's eight Pacific. What's that? Six local kickoff? Is that right? I believe so. So like eleven Eastern if you're looking the big picture stuff. So CBS Sports Network, but I, I do think they can get the win because Stanford's not very good at football. Simple as that. All right, Matt, what do we got for Albany for your FCS minute here? Okay, so uh, Great Danes. And, and interesting, like, did you do you realize, like, their actual name is actually um, U Albany? I believe that's, like, their official athletic I saw name. that. I thought it was just for University of Albany. But on FB schedules, it says U Albany. Yeah. So, so interesting. So it's a good fact. Great Danes, maybe a, a little bit unlucky or a lot unlucky, depending on your interpretation. Only one in five in games decided by eight or fewer points last year. The five they lost five different games by a combined eighteen points, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they a lot of their starting lineup on both sides of the ball ended up skewing pretty young altogether, which means that they might be a sneaky candidate to bounce back at the FCS level. And I think if you're if you're looking at this roster, what you start with is the fact that they do have one of the best young quarterbacks anywhere on that level. Reese Poppenbarger started every game for them last year. Um, he was the CAA Rookie of the Year, also the runner-up for the Jerry Rice Award, which is given annually to the FCS's top freshman. He completed 61.5% of his passes, 24 touchdowns, and, and 2,999 yards, which I thought was kind okay. of interesting. Yeah, uh, and only a one percent interception rate. So he had it all going on as a true freshman, and he has a lot of talent around him. I think you know the bigger question is can Albany improve on defense, in particular, because they've got some talent on that side of the ball. Yeah, they had, I believe, a trio of all conference defenders last year. Anton Jukaj had twelve TFLs on the uh, from the defensive end spot. Um, Dylan Kelly led um, the team with ninety-seven total tackles. Uh, AJ Simon also pretty productive, ten and a half TFLs and five sacks. But at the same time, you know this is the defense that also gave up over thirty points a game, gave up six point three six yards per play, um, and 
you know, for as, as talented as they were individually, they also had just 15 sacks as a team, which was the second lowest figure in, in the CAA. So I think given all of that, it wouldn't shock me if Albany ended up putting up maybe more points than, than the Warriors fans might be comfortable with. But I do think that, you know, if the run and shoot operates like I think that it will, they should still be able to win this game pretty comfortably. So I have this one as a Hawaii win. I do as well. So there's a couple of interesting facts about this game. It is 4,940 miles from Albany to Honolulu. Like, and it's going to be a midnight Eastern kick. So it's Eastern time zone kick, not midnight for the for all you Albany. That's, That's a beast of a trip, man. Like, I, I'm curious. I should oh, actually I'm trying to find out. Five. I wonder what's 5,000 east. Do you think it's closer to London or closer to Honolulu for them? Oh, no. Al- Albany is absolutely closer to London. It's okay. It is 3,300 miles. So they could go to what, Germany, Paris? I don't know. Well, no, wait. They can go way east. I'm just kind of looking at the map here. So that's a that's a heck of a trip. That's going to be a day plus trip. They're probably they're not flying charter, I guarantee, unless it's their one game a year they do, but they're they're flying like commercial and coach. That's like a two-day trip, man. <laughs> they're they're gonna leave Tuesday to get to the Saturday night game, I'm guessing. I don't know. So that's something else just to consider. We're just a beast of a trip. Late and very late night kick for them. It's they might score some points because it's adrenaline and one time one just the game itself, but man, that's gonna be a beast of a travel. But it's a victory for all for me playing for them playing Albany. Then they play go to Oregon to play the Ducks, who it could be a potential Heisman Trophy finalist, Bo Nix quarterback there. And this will clearly one of the games I'll test out of secondary, Cam Stone and others. I just Oregon's projected to be what top 12 team, top 14 team. This is going to be like the Michigan game last year, where it's like 51 to 10 or something. Yeah, I mean, obviously Oregon is probably going to win this game in a walk. But, uh, yeah. I mean, in, in a game like this, I, I wonder where you even start talking about it because, you know, you mentioned Bo Nix and all the talent that Oregon has on offense. You know, they also bring back, I believe, their top three runners from a year ago. Um, you know, Nix as well as Noah Whittington and Bucky Irving, both of whom combined for roughly 1,800 yards and uh, I want to say like six yards of carry. So yeah, just pretty ridiculous combine, yeah. production on the ground. Uh, and oh, by the way, they also bring back, I believe, three starters on the offensive line as well. Um, and the defense should also continue to be pretty good. You know, Brandon Dorless up front, you know, the Justin Jacobs the linebacker. They brought in guys like Evan Williams through the transfer portal from Fresno State. Not much really to say here. Oregon going to be pretty good, going to have a lot of star power, going to win this game pretty handily. I don't know how I can do unless they run a quick offense and get some quick cheap points because they run the ball. The unique offense are going to be Oregon facing, which they don't seem to run the shoot very often. But they return mm-hmm. like like mentioned top receivers. They do lose like Chase Coda, but that's about it really offensively. Like the, Bo Nix also just so you know, fourteen rushing touchdowns more than Irving and Whittington combined, who had ten. So it's just going to be like the Michigan game last year, Vanderbilt. It's going to be if if Hawaii gets twenty one points, that'll be good. I don't know if they'll get there, though. So that's the loss for me. Next game, Mexico State. This is a revenge game. They have to beat the Lobo, or the Aggies. They have to, right? And they got their butt kicked last year against them, and they're at home now. There's no way they need to, they're need to. they going to lose to this team. They just can't. I don't care if Mexico State, we think they're maybe better. They have better players, coach, whatever you want to say. I'm going all in on Hawaii win this game because they have to win it. 
It's a dumb reason, but they're going to win at home. And see, I'm not so sure because, you know, New Mexico State definitely did improve over the course of last year. You know, we talked about them a little bit on the New Mexico podcast. Of course, they went seven and six, won the quick lane bowl, um, you know, had a had a definite midseason turnaround. Buoyed at least a little bit by the fact that they also got to play a pair of home games against not very good FCS opponents. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt, if you will. But they have a quarterback in Diego Pavia, who is a dual threat guy, accounted, I believe, for uh, trying to remember exactly how many touchdowns he combined uh, 19 touchdowns altogether, 13 through the air, six mm-hmm. on the ground. You know, Star Thomas is back. They have a running back committee that. It was pretty productive. 21 total touchdowns between him, Jumani Jones, Amani Watkins, and Tim Gans. The major question for this year's team, though, is how well are they going to be able to replace a lot of talent on defense? You know, because their 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 linebacker duo, Chris Ojo, Trevor Brohard, both are in the NFL ranks now. Lazarus Williams is gone. Bryce Jackson is gone. And, you know, they did bring in a number of players through the transfer portal who could theoretically provide an infusion of talent. Um, you know, guys like Dion Wilson, Jamari Button, um, you know, Denver Warren from the JUCO ranks. You know, and and a fam- even familiar names like Keontae Clinton came over from Wyoming. So they've got a lot of new faces on that side of the ball. But I do think that, you know, I'm, I'm not as sold on Hawaii being a lock to win this game. I actually think that New Mexico State should be able to go on the road and win this one. Interesting. Would you like to uh, guess what FPI says for this game? Is it something like 60% in favor of NMSU? No. You are beyond really? off on. It is 81% in favor of Hawaii. Interesting. 81%. That's huge, Matt. That's like, I was shocked. I saw when I pulled up just now. I'm like, what? I figured it would be somewhere near range, maybe a a slight edge, like somewhere in the fifty percent range for more leaning to Mexico State, maybe Hawaii. So mm. I'm wondering why they say that's almost eighty one percent chance for victory for Hawaii to win. It's at home, that's a big deal. But you are right; they have those players you mentioned. But I still, I don't know. I just think Hawaii was embarrassed last year, and I, I know it's a we should be more analytical and look at this. But I think that's the thing where they don't want to get beat by a team that's was good. They went to a bowl game last year, like you mentioned. I don't care if you beat two FCS teams. Mexico State hasn't been very good for, in a while. Outside of when they beat, then they beat Utah State a couple years ago in the Arizona Bowl. They haven't gone to many bowls. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, to beat Utah State in the Arizona Bowl, right? Yeah. So, but they've only gone to the bowl game last year. That bowl game because there was a big deal when they're playing the, the Utah State Aggies, where it was like the first bowl game in what fifty years or something. So they are mm-hmm. they are a better program. I just I like I think Schrager is good quarterback. I think being at home is a big deal. I, I, it's kind of a gut feeling. I think Hawaii's going to win that one. So what about conference play, then? Okay, conference play. Looking at their schedule, it, it's for what the, for it's pretty good because they they get. I, I'm pretty sure they do this on purpose, man. I don't. I haven't looked historically, but it's pretty rare for Hawaii to have back to back road games anywhere, just because travel wise. I know they do occasionally, like they'll stay in the mainland sometimes, and they play like a mm-hmm. Reno and Fresno or Reno and San Jose or Vegas and whatever back to back like that. They have none of that, which is good. They get their home games are their more difficult opponents. San Diego State's at home, San Jose State's at home, Air Force is at home. They don't play Boise State. They don't play Fresno State. 
Their schedule's pretty manageable, and their road games are all winnable. I think so. Their their toughest, honestly, is their toughest conference game at Wyoming? Yes. Question mark or yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, think so. yeah, Look, I, I would. I, yeah, I mean, I, I was I was thinking question mark at first, but then I remembered like you know they have it's it's all it's been pretty hard for them in recent years to win at Wyoming. It's a hard trip, Laramie to to Honolulu. Oof. I'm trying to remember the last time. I'm trying to look up as we're talking the last time Hawaii won on the road at Wyoming. Actually, well, you know what? The, uh, I take that back. It was, it was only two years ago. ago. Yeah, <laughs> Just kidding. Poly, what, what's it called? The Paula, What's I forget the trophy. The Hawaiian the, Cowboy trophy. Paniolo. Pony, I always kind of mix up. Yeah, Paniolo trophy. One of the, again, college football, you're dumb and weird, and I love that trophy for the Hawaiian Cowboy to get that for that particular game. But that's yeah, their, But before that, they had lost six in a row at, in Laramie. Yeah, it's tough. And this is a late game, too. This is a late. We could potentially be seeing a snow game versus. Ah, uh, it's a noon kickoff, so there's that to consider. But still, they're playing November 18th at Laramie. That's going to be a tough one. But like overall, the schedule plays out pretty good, like we mentioned. So, what do you think? Well, I guess I'll. You asked me a question, first of all. The first game's at UNLV. I. That's also for the. Again, it shouldn't be the Ninth Island Trophy. It should be the Golden Pineapple Trophy, first of all. Get it right, people. I don't understand why that's... I get it, but I like the Golden Pineapple better, right? That makes more sense. Mm-hmm. You are correct. I, I do, Thank you. I don't think they're going to win that game because it's a rival game within a conference. So should, you shouldn't be unfamiliar, but if you're listening, like, wait, is that a rival? Yeah, that's a rival. Hawaii has a couple. I just don't think they can do it because I like Doug Brumfield a lot. We like what Brendan Marion can do. You can listen to our Vegas preview we did recently about... Um, that particular game, but I just, I, I, we both are high in rebels a bit, so that's gonna be a tough one. I'll like, I'll go through the road games. They're gonna beat New Mexico, they're gonna beat Nevada, and we mentioned Larry and Wyoming. That defense is just too good, and so I don't think they're gonna beat Wyoming, but I think they could split on the road in conference play. Yeah, I mean, I think you might be right, and and I do think, like in my opinion, a lot of it is just gonna come down to how much progress the defense can make, mm-hmm. because I only have I only have them going one and three in those road games. You know, beating your- Nevada, but lose, losing at UNLV, at New Mexico, and at Wyoming. And I do think that a lot of it is going to come down to just, you know, how many stops can they make? Because, you know, when I, when I, if I were going to compare UNLV to, to Hawaii, for example, mm-hmm. you know, I think both have a lot of potential on the offensive side of the ball. But on paper, you know, I think we've seen, we saw more out of the Rebels defense last year, and they have more coming back than you know hawaii does and i think that you know even if it's not even if the calculus isn't quite the same as it is for for the lobos you know having lost to like three different players in the secondary having to you know replace a fair amount of the pass rush up front you know i think their track record has at least earned them a little bit of benefit of the doubt and and their capacity to improve on offense should change the tenor of that potential result as well so what about the home games then? Same home games, uh, it. I mean, it, it's tough. not the it's not the the most difficult slate, but it's also not terribly easy too. Because if you're looking at it, like the, all four of the games that they're playing at home could be against potential bowl teams. Yeah, you got San Diego State, then San Jose State, then Air Force, then CSU. Who I think if we order those out, it's almost it's probably. 
CSU is the least likely to make a bowl, but they're I think they're in the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. But I but they're also games they could possibly potentially win because San Diego State, I have those lost for that game. But Jalen Maiden's a good quarterback. I and having a full year and all the type of stuff actually practicing a QB and Ryan Lindley is the OC, which we've discussed before. The running game's not there. Defense is good. That could be a remember last year's low scoring game. Like all these teams, remember, they only had two games are blow. So it was what Fresno and um San Jose, right? I think that's what it was. Yeah, they have and and that game against San Diego State has actually been pretty close more often than not in recent years. Four of the last five games between these two teams decided by seven or fewer points. And last year what was it 16 14? Uh yeah. So that I, I don't think it's a win, but I think it, it could be a potent potential because like the their offense is always a question mark for San Diego State. Even if Jalen made it as good as we think he could be. Running games are terrible. Offensive line hasn't been good. They graduated a lot of receivers who have moved on. So the offense mm-hmm. is still a big question mark, despite the position we like. The position they're normally not amazing at is supposed to be good at everything else. Like, yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Then they do San Jose State, another loss. This will test their secondary with Shavon Cordero throwing the ball down the field. I don't think that'll be a win because I think Spartans have more uh, a more balanced a more balanced team, I would say. And they have the better quarterback, better receivers. Defense, I know those guys do replacing, but I think overall they that's going to be a difficult one for why to keep pace for scoring a lot of points. I I mm-hmm. I think they could score some points, but the good the reason they could because Spartans defense has been was fine. There's nothing to, uh, not sorry, let me rephrase that. Their secondary they could probably pass a bit a little bit there. With but by I mean the reason they could score points are losing like Kate Hall, Fahoko, those type of players. That's mm-hmm. where I think they could possibly take advantage. And so I think that's lost as well. Air Force, just no way triple option. They can't handle it. It is at home, so that could be weird. And then I have them losing at home to college. I have, I have them losing all the home games. Matt, help me out here. Why is that the case? I have them losing basically every game at home, only beating Stanford and Albany all year. All year. Well, and, and I think you know it's, it's to the same point that I made a, a couple of minutes ago. Even if Hawaii's offense is a little bit better, there's no guarantee that the, the, the defense will keep up. And I do think that each of those four teams that you just mentioned, San Diego State, San Jose State, Air Force, and Colorado State, on paper probably figure to be a little bit better defensively. But a little bit better at 37, what is it, 35 points a game down to 30? Still not good. Yeah. So what do you think? Like, how do you think they'll handle those games at home? I mean, I have them, I have them penciled down to lose all four of them as well. When's the last time Air Force has been out there? Has it been a minute? I believe so, yeah. I'm gonna try to look that up real quick. But why what's your reason for them losing all four at home? Like I just think that you know, I, if I'm looking at the home slate, I do think that each of those teams, even despite the questions that they have, they're just like they just have more talent on both sides of the ball, at least at present. Which is not to say that they can't sneak, you know, like you mentioned a minute ago, they almost snuck up on the Aztecs last year. You know, yeah. th- so like there is the capacity, and and I th- I feel like I've said this every single week. Like no one in the Mountain West <laughs> is bulletproof, so it wouldn't shock yeah. me if they were able to steal a win or two at home. Um, but I think in order to do it, they're going to have to prove that they can win a track beat, and if they're going to do that, then they're going to have to prove that they can make one or two stops here and there. So I got the question: Air Force versus Hawaii. Air Force won in twenty nineteen, fifty six, twenty six. They won in 2015, 58 to 7. Besides that, 
They've, they've only played three times this century when they lost 52 to 30 in 2001, which would have been a non-conference game. So this is only okay. the third trip since, since they've been in the conference to play out Hawaii mm-hmm. this year. So not very often, but Air Force won 14 to seven overall with one tie. So it's kind of, I knew, I I guess that's what, four years ago by now, but it's not very often they play out there mm-hmm. just because of uh, divisions and stuff. So what's your overall record? I have five and eights. Them winning two non-conference games and then going three and uh, three in conference play, or excuse me, sorry, three. Sorry, forgot the fifth game, New Mexico State. So three, three and two in non-conference play, two and six in conference play, both road victories against New Mexico and Nevada. So I have them with more or less the same record as last year. I have them going three and ten overall, one and seven in conference play. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing though. Considering the hole from which they started, it would not surprise me if the overall product from week to week is better and it doesn't necessarily reflect it in the win-loss standings. But at the same time, you know, there are plenty of winnable games on the schedule. Like maybe New Mexico State does take a step back. They can steal that one at home. You know, maybe San Diego State is still a little bit erratic on offense. Um, you know, Hawaii could steal a defensive-minded game if it, if it comes into that kind of slog fest. They almost did it last year. Um, you know, if New Mexico, you know, stumbles, like maybe their offense doesn't quite get off the ground the way that I think that it might, they could win that one on the road. You know, if if, if Wyoming's offense is dysfunctional, they could win that one on the road. They did it two years ago. So the, there there is a plenty of opportunity for them to make waves in this conference. I think I'm, I'm hedging a little bit mostly because I don't know how well they're going to address the number of questions that they have on defense in particular, but it wouldn't shock me if the offense is prolific enough for them to win, you know, a couple of 30 or 40 point shootouts that, that nobody would expect them to. Yeah. I also think last year to consider like the, th- the reason I'm going a few more wins is because look what they did. Like there, how many one, one position games last year did they lose? I think that luck's got to change a little bit. And mm-hmm. so five and eight, like I agree with like, could like thinking the other one, could they lose to Stanford? Yeah. Could they lose to Mexico state? Yeah. But also I could see them beating UNLV. I could see them beating um, Colorado state. I don't have a ton of swing games, but there's a couple opportunities to, I think a bowl game would be like the best, best, best case scenario. Cause they remember they need seven wins since they play 13 games. I do see a couple of swing games in there, like San Diego State, probably not. But if the offense doesn't do is it just Jalen made and nothing else, like they played them to the two point, like you mentioned, the four or five been super close. Last year was a two one position game, two points game. And like I mentioned, field goal kickers, if they have experience kicking, that can make a difference in some of these games. San Jose State, like I said, could be a win. Air Force, probably not. But just because that's so different, unique styles. But why can't they beat CSU and those San Jose State? And UNLV. So there is a potential. If things go extremely well, maybe eight wins, like best, best, best case scenario. But I just don't think a bowl game is going to work. But I do think they'll they'll get a little bit of a bounce back last year, a little bit be more lucky, which is not really a thing you can actually tangibly measure measure when you're losing by a couple points here or there. But it goes to the small things like the defense being more experienced this year from the year before. We have a, a little bit of new offense. We have a running running game, which yes, losing to one of their best players, but the guy who's extremely efficient over seven and a half yards per carry last year. They're bringing transfers on the 
defensive front transfer wide receivers to help fill the volume and depth. There is mm-hmm. room for improvement. I I think there'll be a couple more wins than last year, but they're still gonna be they're still gonna be struggling a lot. But I just think if the defense can be, dude, give me even a touchdown better, and they'll be in so many more games. If they give up just twenty eight points a game, that's a dra- dra- drastic improvement, and that could lead to a couple more wins. So that's where kind of where I'm leaning for them that they will improve under year two of Timmy Chang, and they'll get a couple wins with it too. I think they have a clear direction. Which is important, very important. Which is important. And and they have a very strong culture that Timmy Chang and his coaching staff has has cultivated over the last couple of years. You know, the, the brotherhood, the hashtag. Um, you know, I think it's it's sort of emblematic of of the investment that this program wants to make within the state. And so, mm-hmm. you know, even if it takes a little bit of while, even if it takes a little while to really bear fruit. I have to think that they're going to give Chang and, and company the, the the amount of time that they need to be able to sort of, you know, make, you know, to get back into that competitive window and open it up again. But in the meantime, you know, I, I do fully expect that Hawaii is going to be exactly the kind of team that nobody's going to look forward to facing in 2023. And, and I, personally, as a Fresno State alum, I'm glad that Fresno State doesn't have to face them this year. <laughs> yeah. Anything else started? Then we're just going to wrap it up here with the Hawaii preview for the 2023 season. I think we're pretty much all set. All right, we'll wrap up here. Check us out, mwr.com. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you're listening to this. Say, hey, we want more of this. Submit it to my feed. Bring on, bring it along. we got a couple more previews left, Matt. Season's here in a couple weeks, and it's going to be amazing. And, yeah, just check us out, mwr.com, and we'll see you next time, folks.